I thank the, I thank the gentleman and Mr. Speaker, I ask unanimous consent to revise and extend my remarks. Without objection, the gentleman is recognized. The question we're facing today is should we leave Afghanistan? I, I think the answer is very clear and it's not complicated. And of course, we should as soon as we can. This suggests that we can leave by the end of the year. If we don't, we'll be there for another decade, would be my prediction. The American people are now with us. A group of us here in the Congress, bipartisan group, for nearly a decade have been talking about this, arguing not to expand the war, not to be over there, not to be a nation building, and the American people didn't pay much attention. Now they are. The large majority of the American people now say it's time to get out of Afghanistan. It's a fruitless venture. Too much has been lost. The chance of winning, since we don't even know what we're going to win, doesn't exist. So they are tired of it. Financially, there's a good reason to come home as, as well. Some argue we have to be there because if we leave under these circumstances, we'll lose face. It will look embarrassing to leave. So how many more men and women have to die? How many more dollars have to be spent to save face? That is one of the worst arguments possible. We're not there under legal conditions. This is a war. Who says it isn't a war? Everybody talks about the Afghan war. Was the war declared? Of course not. It wasn't declared. There was a resolution passed that said that the president at that time under the emergency of 9-11 could go and deal with al-Qaeda, those who dealt and brought upon the 9-11 uh, bombings. But al-Qaeda is not there anymore, so we're fighting the Taliban. The Taliban used to be our allies at one time when the Soviets were there. Taliban wants, their main goal is to keep foreign occupationers out. They want foreigners out of their country. They're not Al-Qaeda. Yet most Americans, maybe less so now, but the arguments here on the floor is we've got to go after Al-Qaeda. This is not a war against Al-Qaeda. If anything, it gives the incentive for Al-Qaeda to grow in numbers rather than dealing with them. You know, the, mo the money issue. We're talking about a lot of money. Huh? How much uh, do we spend in a year? Probably about $130 billion, up to a trillion dollars now in this past, past decade. Later on in the day, uh, we're going to have two votes. We're going to have a vote on doing something sensible, making sense out of our foreign policy, bringing our troops home, and saving hundreds of billions of dollars. And then we also will have a vote against NPR to cut the funding of NPR. There is a serious question about whether that will even cut one penny, but at least the fiscal conservatives are going to be overwhelmingly in support of slashing NPR, go home and brag about how they're so great fiscal conservatives, and the very most they might save is $10 million. And that's their claim to fame for slashing the budget. At the same time, they won't consider for a minute cutting a real significant amount of money. All empires end for fiscal reasons because they spread themselves too far around the world and that's what we're facing. We're in the midst of a military uh, conflict that's contributing to this inevitable crisis and it's financial and you'd think there'd be a message in the fact of where, how did the Soviets come down? By doing the very same thing that we're doing, perpetual occupation of a country. 
We don't need to be occupying Afghanistan or any other country. We don't even need to be considered going into Libya and where else. Fortunately, I guess for those of us who would like to see less of this killing, we will have to quit because we won't be able to afford it. The, the process that we're going through is following the War Powers Resolution. This is a proper procedure. It's call attention to how we slip into these wars. I have always claimed that it's the way we get into the wars that are the problem. If we would be precise and only go to war with a declaration of war, with the people behind us, knowing who the enemy is, and fight, win, and get it over with, that would be more legitimate. They don't do it now because the American people wouldn't support it. Nobody's going to declare war against Afghanistan or Iraq or Libya. So we now have been so careless for the past 50 or 60 years that we have, as a Congress and uh, especially a House, we have reneged on our responsibilities. We have avoided our prerogatives of saying that we have the control. We have the control of the purse. We have control of when we're supposed to go to war. And yet the wars continue. They never stop and yet we are going to be completely brought down to our knees. We can't change Afghanistan. People who are bragging about these changes, you know, even if you could, you're not supposed to. You don't have the moral authority, you don't have the constitutional the authority. So I would say, I would say the sooner, the, the sooner... Give him 30 more seconds. Gentleman is recognized for 30 more seconds. I would say the sooner the better. We can come home. This process says come home. Uh, under the law, it says you should start bringing troops home within 30 days. This allows up to the end of the year after, uh, after this would be passed. But this needs to be done, and a message needs to be sent. And someday we have to wake up and say, if you are a fiscal conservative, you ought to look at the waste. This is military Keynesianism to believe that we should do this forever. So I would say this is the day to be on record and vote for this resolution. Gentlemen's time has expired. Ladies and gentlemen, now it's too late with Alan Mosley. Guys, welcome back for another episode of It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. I am your host, joined as always by the number one producer in late night. It's Sherry Voluntary. Sherry, how are you doing? I'm great. <laughs> you know, you know what the hardest shows to do are the uh, ones the ones where we come into filming time and there's nothing going on in the world. <laughs> Right. Nothing at all. I mean, football season is like, I mean, the pre NFL preseason started, but, but like college football and stuff is another couple weeks away. Just right. mm, a lot going on. Yeah. Not at all at all. Imagine all the people who are actually like that. <laughs> Imagine being this person. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's what you're saying. Exactly. But you're saying that right now about me to the audience. No, no, no. I'm saying about a person who who is like only plugged into like sports and music or whatever, entertainment, but isn't paying attention to the world at all. They're probably a lot happier than me. <laughs> that's true. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> I've heard. I've heard. I don't know. I've yeah, heard. Yeah, exactly. Um, Sherry, I have got the perfect job for you. 
take a look at this job opening right here. Public <laughs> engagement assistant at U.S. Embassy in Kabul, <laughs> Afghanistan. I want you to take a look at the date right there. That was put. This is not fake, by the way. This is a real job posting that was posted on August twelfth of wow. this very year. So, so five days ago from the time of this recording, Kabul, Afghanistan. Wow. That just goes to show. By the way, that that is funny. And I think, by the way, I think you should still apply. Like the link I, I is still am. live. You should you should actually click apply now and see. Put your see what little, happens. Yeah. See what I mean? It couldn't hurt. But. Couldn't. To me, the joke isn't, ha, 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 look at the job posting, like, oh, that, that's a mistake. Mm -hmm. What's funny is, is that some bureaucrat posted that on the 12th with absolutely, like, no observation whatsoever that that posting might not be, might not be filled. <laughs> that something might be amiss down at the embassy come right. next week. <laughs> something could be going on. We need Scooby-Doo to figure it out. But the, I mean, but that's just, that's such a beautiful, like, just, it's just a window into how government works, though, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't it? Like, you can, yeah. like, the people who think that as of five days ago, you should be filling openings in the embassy in Kabul, <laughs> Afghanistan, those are the people who, they look way down their nose at you. They, mm -hmm. they, they know how to run the world. You don't. And right. they're going to tell you how to live your life, what to eat, what to drink, all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, Speaking of learning how the world works, I want you to take a look at this tweet right here. Now, this was from Jack Dorsey, at Jack, the oh. CEO of Twitter. He tweeted out a link to the PDF of Anatomy of the State at oh. the Mises.org website. Oh. Now, that caused a lot of stir. Just bask in it. Yeah, it caused a lot of stir in social media this past week because I saw... what What's so weird is that when you see something like that happen, though, it... You can instantly, like people, what's the word I'm looking for? People tend to show their true colors, whether mm. they really mean to or not. And that's, and I'm not talking about Jack, by the way. Right. Jack, Jack, he is the CEO of a big tech social media corporation that's in bed with the government. So this mm -hmm. has nothing to do with Jack. I him posting that link doesn't make it magically. Oh, he's a libertarian, y'all. Right. Like that's that's so ridiculous. However. I don't think that the right thing to do is to be blackpilled by it and say, oh, this is a psyop. Oh, they're just tracking to see exactly. who, what people are saying. And so what's amazing is, is that you have these two distinct groups of people that are retweeting that, that are commenting on it, that are sharing it, particularly, particularly in our ideological section of the community. Mm -hmm. You have two groups of people. You have the first group that says, oh, Jack posted this thing. This is going to mean a whole lot of traffic to Mises. This is yeah. going to be in a bunch of people clicking on that link. This is going to be a bunch of people that are not in your Twitter sphere that are that are kind of getting a, you know, they're getting a glance into that side of the social media world. Right. And so then there were people saying, oh, if you like this, check this out. Um, I saw Michael Malice. He was posting, oh, if you like that, you can see it in its entirety in my new book, The Anarchist Handbook. Right. Um, <laughs> you had people like Tom Woods saying, Jack, if you if you read this, you know, use your platform for good, not evil. Yeah. And and that's and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Those because that's the white pilled pill perspective. Right. Mm -hmm. That's people saying, well, let's figure out a way to make this a positive and right. not look not look a gift horse in the mouth, as they say. Mm -hmm. But then you have the black-pilled people who are saying, well, he doesn't really mean it. 
and saying, right. well, he says that now, but what about this other thing he tweeted? Mm-hmm. Or says, I actually saw a lot of people doing this saying, look, at you guys are just grifters. You're just trying to jump on his coattails. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, so pardon me for trying to reach a wider audience with right. our ideas. Right. Jesus. How dare you? How dare you? I, either way you look at it, he's it's going to be seen by many more people than you or I will ever get to see most likely. Yeah, exactly. What what what's funny is is that so if if a random somebody like a Jack makes a post like that and then I reply to it with, you know, a meme, that meme is going to get more reach than anything I've ever posted. Mm-hmm. If people happen to scroll down and see that and click like, it's, I mean, it's literally to the tune of millions more reach, literally, right. yeah. than anything we've ever said or done. Yeah, even if it's a criticism, that's a good thing. Yes. Because people will be exposed to something they, they yeah. sh- wouldn't have been otherwise. And so I just want you to remember this theme for later in the show, that even if something is not perfect, it's okay to celebrate a victory. Mm-hmm. Remember that for later in the show. <laughs> okay. But before we celebrate any victories, I got a question for you, Sherry. Yes? Who fact checks the fact checkers? Santa. (laughs) Jesus Christ. He he sees you when you're sleeping. I actually have the answer. Apparently, it's BuzzFeed News. Take a look at this right (laughs) here. An investigation from BuzzFeed News found that David Mickelson, the co-founder of Snopes, had written over the course between 2015 and 2019, had written dozens of plagiarized articles mm-hmm. for the fact-checking site. Between 2015 and 2019, Mickelson wrote and published dozens of articles containing plagiarized materials from uh, outlets such as The Guardian and The LA Times. Uh, they said that they, they found up to 54, uh, including a wide range of topics such as same-sex marriage and the death of musician David Bowie. Hmm. Now... That's funny enough. And I saw all sorts of people making jokes and memes about fact-checking the fact-checkers. But what's so funny about this, and and I guess this is, while, because we're kind of on sort of like a a Twitter bandwagon right now talking about Jack's tweet and stuff, Mm -hmm. is that on the one hand, something like Twitter can be used for good. You can reach people. That's what social media theoretically is supposed to be, right? You you yeah. take your ideas or your comments and you put them out there and you can reach you can reach an audience. Um, on the other hand though, you also and I would dare say by design, you you see things turn into echo chambers. Mm-hmm. We certainly have we certainly have our sneaking suspicions that platforms like Twitter and Facebook tend to curate things so that only certain types of ideas get play and other types of ideas are shown the door. No. But that being neither here nor there, you go on a web, you go on a site like Twitter and you and you look up this very story right here. And this is this is unimpeachable. I mean, he he admitted to it by the way. So Snopes did right. an internal investigation, found out this that the BuzzFeed News investigation was correct, and they they themselves are censoring David Mickelson, their co-founder. Mm. So this is this is not up for debate. He a hundred percent did this. Wow. So what? Do, so if you go on Twitter, which is a very left-leaning site, and you go and look up this article, and you start to look at the people that are commenting and retweeting, what sort of sort of perspective do you think you're getting? Do you think you're getting a lot of these progressive liberal leftist types saying, well, this certainly gives me pause? 
Right. I'm going to have to think about what I click and, and write and retweet from now on because they may not have my best interests at heart. Right. No, of course not. <laughs> all you get, literally, I mean, it's just thousands and thousands of responses. All you get is, is that, well, just because he copied from an article doesn't mean he's lying. Right. And technically that's true. If if you say something and it's if you say two plus two is four and then I write that and then cross out your name and write my name, it, right. it doesn't make two plus two equals four not correct. Right. But what it does mean is that I'm untrustworthy. Mm -hmm. You lost credibility. Exactly so. So th that man and his organization really. They've lost. I mean, first of all, by the way, Snopes never really had a lot of credibility exactly. if you've been paying any attention. <laughs> but this is this is concrete, undisputable evidence that they don't have credibility. Right. And so in the same way that we treat government, perhaps, you, 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 you sort of use that same attitude towards them is that, well, if they've been lying and cutting corners and cheating on this, what else have they been lying about? Mm. Yep. It's so amazing. I, there was a there was one comment that I remember in particular, and it actually got its own little trend going. Is, but Trump. I mean, I mean, it's it's we're 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 going into later August of 2021 now. The man has not been president for some time, right. and you still have people every single time a story like this comes up. The response is, but Trump. Right. You're like, what does Trump have to do with with Snopes lying? Yeah, it. I, I hear it all the time too from the but Obama did it crowd like it's the yeah. same these people they cannot get yes. over it and move on exactly Spe speaking of getting over it and moving on check this out take a look at this picture a lucky fan in the UK spent two thousand dollars well I guess they weren't dollars I guess they were euros or some some shithole country currency yeah pounds pounds uh, you know pesos <laughs> to buy a slice of Prince Charles and Princess Diana's wedding cake. Wow. Now, when I saw that, you want to know the first thing that came to my mind was? What's that, Alan? So for everybody at home, if you guys go out and buy a slice of Prince Charles and Prince Diana's wedding cake, Sherry and I will taste test it live on It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Oh, yes, we will. I'll, I'll eat that. Guys, I asked Sherry off the air, would you be willing to eat that, like, 20-year-old cake? And, and Sherry's response to me was, what flavor of cake? <laughs> it's not pie, but I'll still eat it. <laughs> uh, so so what are we up to? We're, we're up to all, all manner of Celeste pies. And then you've mm. got we're, Tang. We're still waiting on some Tang. Oh, yeah. Maybe we need Tang to wash down our Princess Diana cake. Ooh, that sounds like a great idea. For Do $2, it. For $2,000, I ought to be getting a piece of Diana, much less the cake. <laughs> I'd like to have the $2,000 myself. <laughs> Guys, we're going to be right back with the meme of the week and the viewer mail right after this break. Don't go away.
Hey, uh, hey, Sherry. Yes? What time is it? Name of the week! You go ahead and say it, Sherry. You say it. <laughs> we need to stay in Afghanistan because the women don't have equal rights. Don't we have men? I, my favorite part is them putting their hands on the shoulder of the guy in the middle. <laughs> oh, so, so good. So good. Believe it or not, that I made that, and that was a last second thing that I had to throw together because I had a blue check on Twitter who dared to engage with me. <laughs> Marianne <laughs> Williamson, who was everybody's favorite meme candidate from for the Democrats this past mm -hmm. election cycle had tweeted out basically some imperialist garbage, more or less right. saying that, you know, my heart goes out to all the women. We ought to, we ought to stay in Afghanistan, y'all. And so me, an intellectual, I retweeted her and said, this is why we have to repeal the 19th Amendment. <laughs> sure enough, the very same Marianne tweeted me back and said, but even if I can't vote, I could still tweet thinking emoji. And so then I sent her back that image right there you'll be shocked to know she didn't she didn't follow up it's funny because wouldn't wouldn't what she said just prove that voting doesn't even matter i i don't think anyone ever accused the woman of I mean, exactly being right you know right a critical thinker but you know <laughs> we do have a bonus meme check out the bonus meme when your pullout game is atrocious <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh it's easier to have a pullout game than any of those people well, I mean, if you didn't go in, you don't have to pull out. I'm just saying. It's, it's, a lot of people could take that lesson and do well. All Like, all of a sudden, we're big fans of Planned Parenthood on this program. <laughs> no, the rhythm method. Uh, let's go ahead and answer the viewer mail. Uh, we're starting off this week with Andrew Avery, who writes, Dear Alan and Sherry, would you eat a box of animal crackers if the seal was broken? I've, that, okay, that was better than the last few weeks. Yeah. But, yeah. You, but however, believe it or not, I actually do know this for a fact. Um, for a while, I was a merchandiser. And I worked for Scott's miracle Grow. I would go into businesses that sold Scott's products. And I would, you know, check inventory put up sales signage, stuff like that. And I never, I never had to go to a Walmart except for one time. And the one time that I had to go by a Walmart just to make sure that the products were out on display and all that stuff, I happened to go by the customer service desk and there was this lady there. Um, I don't, I don't know her name, so, but I'm pretty safe. We could say it's Karen. Um, <laughs> And she was just letting the the like sixteen year old zit covered guy behind the, the counter just letting him have it. Oh. And and the reason she was letting him have it was is she had brought back her pa her package of Oreos, and the Oreos in the corner were broken up. Oh, how dare he! <laughs> well, because he did it, Sherry. Right. It's he did that to her. He did, and not only did he do it, he did it to her. Acne-induced rage. <laughs> Just, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I I tell you what. All of a sudden, I'm a big fan of COVID. <laughs> I just, <laughs> right? <laughs> I gotta tell you. 
Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Jonathan Coranza writes, Dear Alan Sherry, would you like to extend your car's warranty? <laughs> could, could you, Sherry, for next week, can you make sure we don't have spam in the viewer mail? Right. Like, is that, is that something you can do? Now I know who's been calling my phone. Yeah, it's Jonathan. it's Jonathan. Stop it. Jesus. Um, <laughs> Clay Davis writes, Dear Alan and Sherry, what, sens oh, what sensation do you get whenever you snap into the cool, delicious goodness of a York peppermint patty? Ooh. I thought I thought Clay was like worked for a beer company. He apparently works for York. I, I think he's drinking all the beer. Yeah, he's been getting on the interwebs. <laughs> I feel like so. Would we like? Do we get in trouble for that sort of thing? Like, I, like I know we don't because only basically the only people who watch the show are the people who are asking these questions. But like yeah. you know, if this went viral, would we get in trouble for having long conversations about like name brand products? I, What's your guess is as good as mine. Well, anyway, uh, do you like your peppermint patties? I, I I do like them. They're pretty yummy. Okay. Would you eat a York peppermint patty that was at Prince Charles and Prince Diana's wedding? <laughs> um, if I were invited, yes, I guess I would. Okay. Would you eat a York peppermint patty that was in Prince Diana's car? Oh, oh, before or after? After for two thousand dollars. No. Coward. <laughs> that's that's why that's why I have the host chair right there. Bloodborne <laughs> illness, Alan. It's been twenty years. I'm sure it's dead. <laughs> um. Wow, Clay. That's all I have to say. You know, Clay, you should be worried about your football team. That's what you should be worried about. <laughs> Uh, Lyle Dario writes, Dear Alan and Sherry, uh, do you like Tic Tacs? Do you, does this seem like there's some kind of like minty spearmint theme to this week's there's viewer something. mail? You know what the best Tic Tacs are, though? They're the orange ones. The orange ones are just delightful, and I love them. But I thought the whole point of Tic Tacs was like as a breath freshener. But to me, the orange ones are just candy. They're not they a breath freshener. Candy, They're just candy. Why, they're like Luden's cough drops. They're just Cherry, the Luden's cherry is delicious. Just candy. So I was never a big Tic Tacs person because I always got Altoids. Mm. Curiously strong mints for yeah. the agent of chaos. Yes. Yes. The cinnamon Altoids are just candy too. They're delicious. <laughs> giving me a lot to think about. This, this was supposed to be a funny segment. All of a sudden it's got me thinking. Uh, and finally this evening, Ryan Seifert writes, Dear Alan and Sherry. By the way, he's the only person who actually did write Dear Alan and Sherry, not me add Dear Alan and Sherry, because these uncouth barbarians don't know how to address a viewer mail. Easy. Um, was it? No, no, my bad. I'm so sorry. Clay also wrote Dear Alan oh. and Sherry. My bad, Clay. Jesus. Calm, Calm down. down, Clay. Jeez. Ryan Seifert writes, Dear Alan and Sherry, what was your favorite childhood cartoon? Sherry, what was your favorite childhood cartoon? Oh, Bugs Bunny has always been my favorite. Like the Looney Tunes are the best. So, I mean, I mean, I guess I'm good with Looney Tunes overall. I never really liked Bugs Bunny. I thought he was kind of a dick. <laughs> what made him great? I I always really wished that uh, Daffy would, you know, beat him. 
<laughs> physically. <laughs> or or Elmer Fudd would shoot him. I mean, he has what? a gun, for God's sakes. That's terrible. But he's a Fudd. I mean, you know, Bugs was just like always calm, cool, and collected no matter what. And he should have. But he was bad at directions because he always should have taken that left turn at Albuquerque. Foghorn Leghorn was the best. Uh, Foghorn Leghorn was great. But yeah. that's like in that's in the Looney Tunes, you know. Like Yeah. So good. Fa- so you guys don't know this. Foghorn Leghorn is my dad. That's my father. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually uh Mr. Leghorn so, Jr. So he's Foghorn Leghorn Mosley. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> um so my favorite cartoon when I was little was probably Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. I I can believe that. Before they turned into whatever the hell Michael Bay turned them into a few years ago. Bundles of sticks. Yeah. Where's the where's the thing? Play the thing. Where is it? Where's the thing? Here we go. <laughs> oh, you know what I forgot to do? I was gonna I was gonna add like a little sh- oh, sound effect. That'd be nice. If, if not sh- then maybe something gay like yeah. Like that, yeah, or like, or a little, like a little hover, like a little small engine plane, plane sound. Mm-hmm. That'd be cute. So Louis C.K. had the little bit where he was he was pretending to be that he'd say, you know, people from Phoenix are Phoenicians, <laughs> something like that. Like that's what would play when the thing goes by. Yeah, that's good. I love how we're wasting time when we have like really deep stuff to get into the rest of the show. So we yes, better go do that. Important matters. Important matters indeed. Guys, we're going to be back to talk about Afghanistan right after this break. Don't go away. Your ad could be playing right now, reaching thousands of potential customers. Sadly, it's not, but it could be. Find out how to be an advertised sponsor for It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Email us at info at alanmosley.tv. Imagine for a moment moment, that somewhere in the middle of Texas, there was a large foreign military base say Chinese or Russian. Imagine that thousands of armed foreign troops were constantly patrolling American streets in military vehicles. Imagine they were here under the auspices of keeping us safe or promoting democracy or protecting their strategic interests. Imagine that they operated outside of U.S. law and that the Constitution did not apply to them. Imagine that every now and then they made mistakes or acted on bad information and accidentally killed or terrorized innocent Americans, including women and children, most of the time with little or no repercussions or consequences. Imagine that they set up checkpoints on our soil and routinely searched and ransacked entire neighborhoods of homes. Imagine if Americans were fearful of these foreign troops and overwhelmingly thought America would be better off without their presence. Imagine if some Americans were so angry about them being in Texas that they actually joined together to fight them off in defense of our soil and sovereignty because leadership and government refused or were unable to do so. 
imagine that those Americans were labeled terrorists or insurgents for their defensive actions and routinely killed or captured or tortured by the foreign troops on our land. Imagine that the occupier's attitude was that if they just killed enough Americans, the resistance would stop, but instead, for every American killed, ten more would take up arms against them, resulting in perpetual bloodshed. Imagine if most of the citizens of the foreign land also wanted these troops to return home. Imagine if they elected a leader who promised to bring them home and put an end to this horror. Imagine if that leader changed his mind once he took office. The reality is that our military presence on foreign soil is as offensive to the people that live there as armed Chinese troops would be if they were stationed in Texas. Shutting down military bases and ceasing to deal with other nations with threats and violence is not isolationism. It is the opposite. Opening ourselves up to friendship, honest trade, and diplomacy is the foreign policy of peace and prosperity. It is the only foreign policy that will not bankrupt us in the short order, as our current actions most definitely will. I share the disappointment of the American people in the foreign policy rhetoric coming from the administration. The sad thing is, our foreign policy will change eventually, as Rome's did, when all budgetary and monetary tricks to fund it are exhausted. Used to be some good stuff that came out of those Ron Paul days. Such good stuff. Oh, man. So what I thought we would do tonight is we would do kind of a stream of consciousness episode, sort of like the the episode, uh, The Savior Complex, we did a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a little bit of notes. I'm not going to read off of too much things. I do want to start with, um, I've got an article here by Glenn Greenwald. Uh, the U.S. government lied for two decades about Afghanistan. Uh, Using the same deceitful tactics they pioneered in Vietnam, U.S. political and military officials repeatedly misled the country about the prospects for success in Vietnam. So he starts off with a little quote here that you might remember. The The Taliban regime is coming to an end, announced President George W. Bush at the National Museum of Women and the Arts on December 12, 2001, almost 20 years ago. Five months later, Bush vowed, quote, In the United States of America, the terrorists have chosen a foe unlike they have faced before. We will stay until the mission is done. Four years after that, August 2006, Bush announced, Al-Qaeda and the Taliban lost a coveted base in Afghanistan, and they know they will never reclaim it when democracy succeeds. The days of the Taliban are over. The future of Afghanistan belongs to the people of Afghanistan. (sighs) Now, Obviously, that didn't quite work out as W predicted. Right. But there's so there's so many things I want to touch on tonight, and and I, and I hope this doesn't come out to just be a totally garbled mess. But I want to start right there with with old W. And we were talking about earlier in the show. You look at social media and how polarized the political landscape is, and as as you guys are all perfectly aware at this point. Um, at least as of this recording, at least if we take things at face value, it looks like the war in Afghanistan is coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Now that 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 could not even that might not even be true by the time we, we upload right. this episode. But if we're taking it at face value, the war in Afghanistan is coming to an end. Um, and President Biden, after like a two three day window there, where he was sort of incognita. 
He was he was mm-hmm. gone. He was hiding in Camp David. Uh, and and his press secretary, Saki, was also MIA and vice mm-hmm. president, uh, Officer Harris. And people were waiting, like, look, there's this this situation's unfolding. I expect some type of statement. And he came out and he gave a speech. And and we already had so much footage in the show already that I didn't want to show any of that speech. But basically what it really was, because it had its it had its moments, it had its highs and lows. Mm-hmm. And again, I really want to stress to people that yes, he he did a lot of blame shifting. In, in out of one side of his mouth, he was talking about ending ending things in Afghanistan, and yet out of the other side of his mouth, he's talking about escalating tensions in other parts of the world, and that's mm-hmm. awful. And he should be criticized for that because that's we're we're not interested in ending the war so that we can shift to a different theater. Mm-hmm. We want to end war, not just end a war. We want to end war. Um, however, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth, as they say, mm-hmm. and not be willing to celebrate that, at least on the surface, it appears that the war in Afghanistan is ending, even if it is a bit of a Pyrrhic victory. So I want to I wanna start off by talking about that, and I, and I know a lot of people were very critical of Biden, but he at least appeared to really dig in his heels and say, no, I'm sticking by my decisions. We're withdrawing. We're withdrawing right now. Yeah. And there's a lot of people really upset with how the withdrawal kind of came about, how it's going. Now, we joked, we joked here in the very beginning of the program that, look, you can look last week, they were looking to fill spots in the embassy. So, look, mm-hmm. th- this, is, this is the state we're talking about, guys. These, these people don't exactly have the best track record of doing anything, whether they genuinely want to get it done or not. It's not even a matter of good and evil at that point. They're just bad at everything they do because they necessarily must be. That's what they are. Um, however, something I've been telling a lot of people is it was always going to end this way. Hmm. And, and I know that that sounds short and curt. And there's a lot of people saying, well, shoulda, woulda, couldas. They should have started sooner. They should have. They should have stuck perhaps to Trump's original date of pulling out. They should have. They should have started the evacuation sooner. They shoulda, 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 shoulda. Right. And and yeah, okay, sure. I, I I'll agree with all that. Um, but there was never going to be a good withdrawal. Right. The 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 people, the invested interest, the crony capitalists, the military industrial complex. The Leviathan, who has had his tentacles in the Middle East for decades and decades, and, and, and all the preceding presidents, by the way, a lot of, Biden is getting a lot of heat. He's getting a lot of heat from neocons because war is what they love. I mean, mm-hmm. boy, I tell you what, if you want to see some mad women right now, go look up Liz Cheney and Megan McCain. Meg- Yes. Boy, they are, you, you know, they're just, yep. man, they are, they are ready to literally box with Joe Biden because yep. they just, they can't, it, it's unfathomable to them that their father's beautiful war is coming to an end. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And so he's taking heat from that side. He's taking heat from, from the traditional GOP. I say traditional because look, they've, 
the neocons have been in control of the GOP for long enough now. That is the GOP. Yeah. There's no such thing as this mythical long lost conservative. They are the GOP. Lindsey Graham, that is the GOP. Mm -hmm. They're upset because they don't want to see the war coming to an end. They want troops back in there. Uh, Biden's getting a lot of heat from his own side of the aisle. You've got, you've got uh, impeach Biden now and President Harris trending on Twitter every day yeah. now. But, which, by the way, just as a quick aside, you, you guys do realize that in the eventuality that poor pudding brain Biden finally collapses, that means you're <laughs> going to get President Kamala Harris. And if by some crazy chance that the resignations go across the entire administration, then you get President Nancy Pelosi. You know that, right? That's what you get. So tap the brakes on that. Things could get worse, you mean. <laughs> oh, things could get worse. But, but going back to knowing that things were always going to end this way and, and not acting so shocked and, and, and clutching pearls and wringing hands by what you're seeing in the news. Um, boy, it just goes to show how few people actually read the Afghanistan papers. So mm -hmm. we had the, we had the link right there and, and Greenwald talks about it in his articles uh, as well. And it, just, just back in 2019, you, you know, you had in WAPO uh, the Afghanistan papers that, that talked about, you know, as, as, as a hat tip to the Pentagon Papers, um, you, I mean, you had these hundreds of different officials that were, that were making statements, that were writing, writing pressers and doing things behind the scenes that were saying, look guys, every single thing you see in here coming out of Afghanistan is going through the state's filter. They're trying mm -hmm. to make it sound like these Afghan security forces are worth a damn. They're trying to make it sound like this democratic government that's been set up in Kabul, that, that it's stable and it's healthy and that should we walk out the door, and of course when I say we, I mean the United States regime, should they walk out the door today that tomorrow they will carry on, they will, they will be able to maintain their right. presence in the region, they're going to be able to fight their own civil wars. That was never true. Mm-hmm. That was never true. I saw Justin Amash. He he had tweeted something out very recently, and, and I've got problems with Amash because you know he's mm -hmm. a, he's a beta. But mm -hmm. that being neither here nor there, he he one thing he said that was true, which was people like us, us us Ron Paul types, the man who we've been featuring at the start of our segments. Mm -hmm. A man like Ron Paul would be the one to tell you that. An, a, an idea whose time is to come cannot be stopped. And that you can defeat an army, but you can't defeat an ideology. Right. And people have to accept something for it to be true and good and for it to survive and thrive even. And a great many people in that part of the world do not share the values and ethics that you and I share. Right. the Taliban was always going to reclaim that country. Mm -hmm. You could destroy the Taliban's armies, but you could not destroy the ideology and you couldn't take away from people's brains the thought processes that they have. As our little graphic to start this one showed, you have people that no matter how oppressive the regime may have been before, what they all can agree on is they don't want 
foreign invaders mm-hmm. on their soil. They may not agree on exactly what tribe should be installed in Kabul, but they can all agree it's not going to be Americans. It's not going to be Western values. It's not going to be the UN. They're not going to be the ones that are ruling in Kabul. I'll guarantee goddamn to yeah. you that. Certainly not by force. Certainly not by force. And so scrolling all the way down here towards the bottom, there was just one thing I wanted to point out. As the Post explained, the documents contradict a long chorus of public statements from U.S. presidents, military commanders, and diplomats who assured Americans year after year that they were making progress in Afghanistan and the war was worth fighting. Those documents dispel any doubt about whether these falsehoods were intentional. Several of those interviewed described explicit and sustained efforts by the U.S. government to deliberately mislead the public. They said it was, it was common at military headquarters in, Quab- in Kabul and at the White House to distort statistics to make it appear the United States was winning the war. That was not the case. Every data point was altered to present the best possible picture. Bob Crowley, an Army colonel who served as senior counterinsurgency advisor to the U.S. military commanders in 2013 and 14, told government interviewers. Surveys, for instance, were totally unreliable but reinforced that everything we were doing was right and we became a self-licking ice cream cone. I like that. (laughs) Uh, John Subko, the head of the federal agency that conducted the interviews, acknowledged to the Post that the documents show the American people have constantly been lied to. This isn't, this isn't new. Mm. This isn't, this isn't a recent development. It, it makes me also think, there's so many things it makes me think of. It, it makes me think of Edward Snowden and Julian Assange. Mm-hmm. You think of, you think of all the things that have happened over the last 10, 20 years, the, the leaks, things like the Afghanistan papers being published. Um, you, you think of some of the great and terrible things that have been done by the American regime in Afghanistan. And I think that's, this is where you're going to get a lot of people really hot. And we're going to take a break after this so everyone can go grab a drink and cool down. <laughs> it's so, it's so easy for all of us to think because we see servicemen and women, right? We have some of them as our friends and our neighbors. We have some of them in our little libertarian community. And sure, a lot of them, a lot of them agree with us that the empire is terrible and that they don't approve of the wars. But they still have they still have that nagging feeling though of but I fought those people. I was there. Mm-hmm. My friends died there. It had to be for something. Yeah. And I think that that's probably the hardest thing for some of them to overcome is to say those people did those people died for nothing. Yeah. Those people died for nothing, and, and some of our people were killing and maiming and torturing, and I use that word explicitly, mm-hmm. torturing Afghanis, murdering innocent people in that country for years and years and years. No wonder then that you see the security forces just dropping their weapons and running away. The Mm -hmm. Taliban retook that country as fast as they could walk, Sherry. Yeah. There was practically no resistance. 
-hmm. and, and while there will absolutely be a lot of suffering there among the collaborators, people that they see as collaborators, people right. who are friendly to Western regimes, you also see a lot of people dancing in the streets. Yep. Because it's not that black and white, is it? Nope. Let's take a quick break and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about our friend Ron Paul right after the break. If you're enjoying tonight's show, consider supporting the program by becoming a member of our Patreon. That's over at patreon.com slash Alan Mosley. Speaker, I have a few questions for my uh, colleagues. What if our foreign policy of the past century is deeply flawed and has not served our national security interests? What if we wake up one day and realize that the terrorist threat is a predictable consequence of our meddling in the affairs of others and has nothing to do with us being free and prosperous? What if propping up regime, repressive regimes in the Middle East endangers both the United States and Israel? What if occupying countries like Iraq and Afghanistan and bombing Pakistan is directly related to the hatred directed toward us? What if someday it dawns on us that losing over 5,000 American military personnel in the Middle East since 9-11 is not a fair trade-off for the loss of nearly 3,000 American citizens, no matter how many Iraqi, Pakistani, and Afghan people are killed or displaced. What if we finally decide that torture, even if called enhanced interrogation technique, is self-destructive and produces no useful information, and that contracting it out to a third world nation is just as evil? What if it is finally realized that war and military spending is always destructive to the economy? What if all wartime spending is paid for through the deceitful and evil process of inflating and borrowing? What if we finally see that wartime conditions always undermine personal liberty? What if conservatives who preach small government wake up and realize that our interventionist foreign policy provides the greatest incentive to expand the government? What if conservatives understood once again that their only logical position military intervention and managing an empire throughout the world? What if the American people woke up and understood that the official reasons for going to war are almost always based on lies and promoted by war propaganda in order to serve special interests? What if we as a nation came to realize that the quest for empire eventually destroys all great nations? What if Obama has no intention of leaving Iraq? What if a military draft is being planned for for the wars that will spread if our foreign policy is not changed? What if the American people learn the truth? That our foreign policy has nothing to do with national security. That it never changes from one administration to the next. What if war in preparation for war is a racket serving the special interests? What if President Obama is completely wrong about Afghanistan and it turns out worse than Iraq and Vietnam put together? What if Christianity actually teaches peace and not preventive wars of aggression? 
What if diplomacy is found to be superior to bombs and bribes in protecting America? What happens if my concerns are completely unfounded? Nothing. But what happens if my concerns are justified and ignored? Nothing good. And I yield back the balance of my time. I yield back the balance of my time is such a mic drop yeah. moment, right? <laughs> um, war is a racket. Yeah. You heard him. You heard Dr. Paul say right there, the old Smedley Butler, yeah. uh, Butler line. Um, so something that Ron Paul has parroted many times is the line, truth is treason in the empire of lies. Mm. But that's echoed. There's, there's a quote here by a French doctor, uh, Gustave Le Bon, who had said, the masses have never thirsted after truth. They turned aside from evidence that is not to their taste preferring to deify error if error seduced them. Whoever can supply them with illusions is easily their master. Whoever attempts to destroy their illusions is always their victim. And it, it actually got me to thinking, um, yeah, how do we get here? How does this happen? If, if war is a racket, if, if history repeats itself time and time again, um, people talk about uh, this being Biden's Saigon moment, and you see the helicopter taking mm. off from the roof of the embassy, you know. Yeah. Um, then, in which, first of all, is is it really Biden's Saigon moment, or is it Biden's and Trump's and Obama's right. and Bush's and on and on and on? Um, but you know, the the uh, psychologist Carl Jung, he has this thing where he says it's not famine, not earthquakes, not microbes, not cancer, but man himself who is man's greatest danger to man for the simple reason that there is no adequate protection against psychic epidemics. By psychic epidemics, he means mass psychosis, mm -hmm. which are infinitely more devastating than the worst of natural catastrophes. And that's really, and it's something really that can apply to kind of the age of COVID that we're in too, right? With the, with the masks and the lockdowns and the vaccines and everything else is that there's this, this mass psychosis that takes over society and, and you see it take over in two distinct ways between the rulers and the ruled. The mass psychosis with the rulers is the delusion that they know what's best. Mm -hmm. They know what's best for you. And, and not only that, that they could, that they could possibly know that really right. is delusional, that they could possibly have all the information it would take to centrally plan the whole world around them. But then, but that's just them. But then how do they, how do they make it happen? How, how do people put up with that? But that's because a great part of the rest of society is, has also fallen under a mass psychosis and they're delusional because it would require, it requires a delusion for people to revert back to that sort of childlike state where they're easily pawns mm -hmm. for the people that rule them. Um, so anyway, Ron Paul actually had a, had an article that he, that he put out, on this topic. He says, Kabul has fallen, but don't blame Biden. The, the U.S. experienced another Saigon moment, this time in Afghanistan, 20 years, trillions of dollars, all of course the deaths and destruction. The rush is on to find somebody to blame, 
for the chaos in Afghanistan. Many of the experts are doing finger pointing as to who's to blame. Politicians and pundits play cheerleader for this war for two decades are now rushing to blame President Biden for finally getting the U.S. out. Where were they when succeeding presidents continued to add troops and expand the mission in Afghanistan? Mm-hmm. The U.S. war in Afghanistan was not lost yesterday. Right. It was lost a long time ago. Now, Dr. Paul says he would argue that it, it was lost the moment it shifted from the mission of apprehending those responsible for 9-11 to mm-hmm. regime change and, and nation building. Right. And I'm not against that, although I would probably, I might even go a step further. So who is to blame? <laughs> so, of course... Ron Paul was a congressman. He was in the House of Representatives for about eight trillion years. So he, st- he actually, the first people he lists is Congress. Mm-hmm. Congress is to blame. They kicked the can down the road for 20 years, continuing to fund the Afghan war long after even they understood there was no point to the U.S. occupation. There were some efforts by some members to end the war, but most, on a bipartisan basis, just went along to get along. That's another important thing to recognize, too. We've had years of Democrat presidencies and Republican presidencies in the last two decades. And you've had Democrat-controlled Congresses and Republican-controlled Congresses. And it, made, it, it didn't make one whit of difference, did it? Nope. The Pentagon's budgets were always passed. The coffers were always full. Um, here's another good point, and I know our friend Kay Guts, Kevin Gutzman, has brought this up as well. The generals and other high-ranking military officers lied to their commander-in-chief and to the American people for years about progress in Afghanistan. The same is true for the U.S. intelligence agencies. Unless there's a major purge of those who lied and misled, we can count on these disasters to continue until the last U.S. dollar goes up in smoke. That's an important one to expand upon for just a moment. I've seen people talking about things like, you know, when when Napoleon and most of his leading lieutenants took over a big chunk of Europe, they were young men. They were young men, like Mm -hmm. like 20-somethings, were were leading armies against some of the biggest empires in the world. We had, we've fallen into this, maybe it's part of the psychosis, I don't know. you, You have these generals these U.S. intelligence apparatchiks, these, these, the deep state, if you will, and you've got these career bureaucrats and politicians who have been in service for 20, 30, 40 years or more, men that are in their 50s, 60s, even older, and they, and they lead the country to disaster. And they, and they don't just lead to disaster despite their best efforts one could argue that that was the point because their efforts Mm. weren't to win. Their efforts were to help the military industrial complex. Their effort was to build more airplanes, build more missiles, build more tanks, spend more money. That was their goal. And by that logic, they did a great job, didn't they? Mm. Their goal wasn't to win anything. Their goal was to have a bigger budget next year. But those people, those people ought to be lined up against a wall and fucking shot. Yep. But that's not what's going to happen. Every single one of those people are going to retire with a full pension and then go get a job at goddamn Halliburton or Raytheon or something. Every single one of them. Their lives will improve. Yeah. 
Things are only going to get better for them after this, not worse. That's the ones that move on. Some of the other ones may be still in office for the next, for mm-hmm. the next regime change, wherever that may be. Military industrial conflict spent 20 years on the gravy train. They hired armies of lobbyists and think tank writers. Think tank writers, don't forget them. I'm looking <laughs> at you, Cato, you fucks. To continue the lie that was making them rich. They wrapped their graft up in the American flag, but they're the opposite of patriots. Let's not forget the mainstream media. The corporate, see, Michael Malice doesn't like that phrase, mainstream. He prefers corporate press. Right. The corporate press has uncritically repeated the propaganda of the military and political leaders about Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, and all the other pointless U.S. interventions. Many of these outlets are owned by defense industry connected companies. The corruption is deep. Political control in Afghanistan has returned to the people who fought against those they viewed as occupiers and for what they viewed as their homeland. That is the real lesson. But don't expect it to be understood in Washington. War is too profitable, and political leaders are too cowardly to go against the tide. But the lesson is clear for anyone wishing to see it. The U.S. global military empire is a grave threat to the United States and its future. War is a racket. Mm. So, I really want to figure out a way to end on some kind of <laughs> some right. kind of positive note here. Um <sighs> So our, our friend Benner will like this. There's a quote by Thomas Paine. Uh, Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. Again, as we started, it was always going to end this way. But it's over. We hope. Right. We might be proven wrong by the regime, but as of this recording... The war in Afghanistan appears to be coming to an end. Now, I did have a picture right here. I want you to take a look at this. This is the back of a C-17 leaving Kabul the other day. Uh-huh. And you can see it just jam-packed with people. Yeah. With just, just people. And, and I want to add, so I don't forget, the people that you see tweeting and writing and talking about what we owe those people we, we occupied Afghanistan for 20 years, and we owe it to those people to help them. Mm-hmm. Anyone using terminology such as what we owe anyone and what, and what they should do about us, you can just, just click the block button on every single person you see using that terminology. <laughs> we didn't do jack shit. Exactly. I didn't have any say in the matter. Mm-hmm. We did not occupy Afghanistan for 20 years. It was not up to us. Mm-hmm. One, one of my genuine great fears about the disconnect between people all over the Middle East and people in the West is that they are sitting there looking at their social studies books and they're being taught, well, in other parts of the world, they have these, these wonderful democracies and republics. Well, that, man, those people over there must hate us, y'all, because their, their militaries keep on invading us, and supposedly they work for the people. I guess the people hate us. Yeah. And, I, and, and I feel terrible if they think that way, because I don't hate them. Right. There's this, there's this quote. I just happened to see it from our, from our friend uh, Stephen Rose, the anarcho-Christian. It was from Booker T. Washington. It says, I shall allow no man to belittle my soul by making me hate him. Hmm. I don't hate those people. I know that there's some terrible people 
in Afghanistan. This is none of this should be construed as an endorsement of the fucking Taliban. Right. Of course not. I would like to think that our viewers who have an IQ above room temperature don't need me to stipulate with fine text across the bottom. <laughs> this is not an endorsement. Why do you love the Taliban? Yeah, 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 exactly right. But while there can absolutely be terrible people, there, you know what? There's terrible people here. We're sitting here, I was sitting there watching in the last segment, watching that, that old Ron Paul 2012 video that was, that was the, what if this was happening in Texas mm -hmm. and the part where it's talking about these security forces and then patrolling people and terrorizing people and setting up checkpoints. It's like, well, fuck, we have that here right now. Yeah. We have a police state that sounds almost exactly like that. They just don't have a foreign flag on their cars. Mm-hmm. So. <sighs> I just, I just hope that people take away from this that it's okay to celebrate the war coming to an end, mm. and and it's and it's okay to be frustrated with how the withdrawal has taken place, but that it was always going to end very poorly, and no matter how bad it is, it's better for it to have happened today than tomorrow. Yep. <sighs> it's frustrating. <laughs> War is a racket. Yes. Do you have any, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. I, I think that, uh, it's, you know, we were talking about the terrible people. We just, we just sat here and talked about the terrible people in this country. They're the people that use fear to get what they want and what they want is not in the American people's best interest. It's in the best interest of Halliburton and Raytheon and all those people and themselves who, who get paid off by them. So, um, it's, it's always a, a matter of resisting the fear, resist fear and what they're telling you, because as Frank Herbert said in Dune, fear is the mind killer. And that's exactly the thing that they need. They need for you to be afraid. And that's why he's talking about you know, uh, maybe heightening tensions elsewhere in the world because they need a boogeyman to keep doing these things to you. You, it's your responsibility to stop falling for it because they can only do, they only have the authority that you allow them because you believe in it. Actually, you know, I, that just reminded me, Sherry, I know how I'm going to end the segment this week. Oh boy. So what, there's one thing that, that disgusts me more than anything, and it's people that have absolutely no humanity at all. They mm -hmm. have no empathy for, for the death and the suffering mm -hmm. of other people. And it doesn't matter what their skin color it is. It doesn't matter right. where they're from. It doesn't matter whose side they were even on. Mm -hmm. you, you have to have humanity in understanding that the death and the murder and the torture and the destruction is wrong. And that we talk about the unseen, the seen and the unseen on this program. And it's not just, it's not just purely an economic concept of, right. well, what would we have spent our dollars on? It's mm -hmm. also the human capital. What could those human beings have done on this earth had they not had their lives taken from them? Yep. So, so I've got a phrase for you guys. This is, this is my gift to you. The next time you come across that random boomer uncle or whoever on social media 
that leaves you a phrase where they don't they don't care what happens to those people or even better yet the ones who say things like well we, I, I can solve this problem real quick we ought to just turn that whole country oh, to glass god this is what you can say to them from now on you just hate them because they're free <laughs> we're going to be back to wrap up the show right after this break don't go away Tonight's show was sponsored by the Counter Narrative Report. The CNR is all about bringing you a rational look at the supposed official narratives being peddled by big tech and the corporate press. Cut through the propaganda and enjoy a safe haven for the free expression of ideas, as well as joining a free interactive online forum by visiting the Counter Narrative Report at www.the-cnr.com. That's www.the-cnr.com. Like our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash TV. You can follow me on Twitter. It's twitter.com at TV. Subscribe to our YouTube page. It's youtube.com slash TV. Also remember we're on Odyssey. That's odyssey.com at TV or It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. As well as if you're a listener rather than a watcher, Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice thanks to Anchor FM, anchor.fm at Alan Mosley TV. Well, I suppose I asked you if you had a final thought at the end of the last one, but do you have another final thought totally unrelated to Afghanistan? Uh, don't bother kids. <laughs> it's always, it's always when. Well, it's, even if they're Afghani kids, don't bother them. Yeah, don't. Just don't. But you know, some of them Afghani kids—they look older. <laughs> this, this is why they gotta have. This is why you gotta have a national ID. Oh lord! <laughs> I feel like you disapprove of me opening up like seven more cans of worms. Right, right I know. I like. <laughs> we don't have time for this, Alan. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much, and we will see you next week.